0: Today's gonna be a little different. I think uh, those of you who have been attending Lower Town know that. Um, uh, obviously, there was a uh, tragedy. Um, Thursday afternoon. Um, you're, gonna, you're gonna hear me say Kirk Cousins a lot today because I need to think of a joke, um, just to bring myself back. Uh, Will and Coley, they, uh, they were good people and uh great parents and uh they're gonna be missed a lot by a lot of people um a couple of weeks ago i uh was uh speaking through uh nehemiah and got to a passage just kind of was talking about how nehemiah trusted in god but also locked his doors and and uh you probably didn't know this, but Will was our lock. <laughs> you know, when uh, when it comes to security and he was working on our emergency response team and our uh, security teams and anytime someone, you know, in my opinion, a little shady walked in, all it took was a little glance at Will and a little head nod from him to know we're okay. Okay. <laughs> um, He, uh, as many of you were the beneficiaries of, uh, would bake. Uh, he baked these brownie, golden, deliciousness every single week, and uh, without fail. I mean, when you talk about the faithfulness of uh, Will Craig, he was he was here more than I was, and, uh, and I'm not just saying that. Uh, without fail, um, there were even times he had be on his way to a gala or something with the boys and Cully and he would literally just drop off the pan every week. And uh, once we switched to the morning, he switched to making coffee cake. And I said, uh, "Man, Will, I didn't know you were—I didn't know you were a baker." And he goes, "Well, I'm not. I just learned how to bake because you said you needed treats." <laughs> and that was the kind of Will, the kind of man that Will was. But I know this about Will and about Cully and. What we're going to do today as far as a sermon, as best I can to get through this, I know that, uh, I know without any figment of doubt in my mind that Will uh, would want me to not talk about his faithfulness or Coley's faithfulness or the boy's faithfulness. He would want me to teach and preach on the faithfulness of Jesus to us, even in the midst of tragedy. And uh, I got to change the slide. Uh, this is the information about the service. It's going to be held over at uh, Crossroads Church in Woodbury, Minnesota. They've been attending there, uh, Coley especially, and, and the boys were going there a lot. Uh, this is going to be on, on Thursday, October 24th at 2, and uh, the visitation then is going to be on Wednesday, uh, the 23rd, at the, the KOK uh, Funeral Home in Cottage Grove. And so um, I know it would be a great encouragement. Uh, for the boys and the rest of the family, if we could go and and uh, pray with them and be there with them in their their time of of mourning as we mourn alongside of them, so let 's jump into this i think I think again, will would want me to unapologetically preach and teach on the faithfulness of God and preach and teach on the power of God in the midst of tragedy. And so that's that's exactly what we're going to do. And so this is actually week uh, six in the book of Nehemiah. Um, as we're gonna just, I'm just gonna read through a little bit of this in Nehemiah chapter six, really just a couple of verses, and just want to tie this into, I think, where we're at as a church uh, in a time of loss, in a time of grieving, and and say who who is it? Because because listen, Will and Coley, they didn't worship me. I didn't die for their sins, they didn't worship this church, they loved us, but they, they worshipped the God of this church, and they worshipped Jesus Christ, and so that's who we're going to be focusing our time on this morning. So let me just read this passage, and I really just have a couple, a couple points, I don't even have any points, I just have a bunch of verses, and we're just going to walk through them, uh, which I, I know that's not typically how, how I do things. Um, but uh, um, we're just going to go through this. And, and this, this title could be changed uh, really to why, why, do, why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? And uh, looking at how God is at work, even, even in Nehemiah. And I think, I think Will and Coley reflected these passages well that we're going to look at uh, this morning. It says this in Nehemiah chapter 6, starting in verse 16. It says, When all of our enemies heard about this, what did they hear about? They heard about the rebuilding of the wall. And so a little backstory, Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem, his hometown, and he's rebuilding the wall. And he has enemies from all sides and armies all around him that, that only want to see Nehemiah fail in this. And just these propaganda campaigns, and it starts amongst themselves, and it and then it moves to actually threatening uh, the Jews and the people there in Jerusalem and so this is the completion. The wall has been completed. So this is kind of the end of it here, except it's not the end of the book. It's going to keep going. And we're going to see what's going to happen in Nehemiah. But it says this, when all of our enemies heard about this, the finishing of the wall, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God, and let me just finish reading this, and I'll go back and make another comment here. It's also in those days the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah, and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them, for many in Judah were under oath to him, since he was the son-in-law to Shekiah, son of Erah, and his son uh, Je- Johaniah, had been married to the daughter of uh, Mesulam, son of Berechiah. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds, and then telling him what I said. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. Okay, so Tobiah, most likely an Israelite who dis- wasn't really on board uh, with what we looked at last week of saying, "No, oh, hey, we need to, we need to let our people be free. We need to get them out of debt so that we can uh, prosper alongside of one another." And Tobiah says, "No, I'm not cool with that." So he's just kind of making comment on that, but. What I really want to focus on, the verse that I want to focus on, and really specifically one word in this passage that we're going to just ride the rest of this morning, is in verse, uh, chapter six, or excuse me, verse 16. It says, when all of our enemies heard about this, and all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence, and it says, because they, they, the enemies, all of these people who are against Nehemiah, they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. So it shifts, right? Something, something's happening where, where constantly Nehemiah, right, is, as I'd mentioned in weeks past of this Jesus juke, that anytime something good would happen, even as a direct result of his, his planning or his delegations or, or anything that he did every single time, he's like, but God did that. The help of God. And that's why we're getting the victories and all these different things that are going around. And that's exactly what's happening here except now it's no longer Nehemiah and the Israelites that are saying, no, God's helping us. It's actually the people that don't believe in that God that are saying their God is helping them. By their work, by their testimony, there's something about the way that Nehemiah lived and the the Jewish community around him that lived that people then said, their God is actually quite powerful. And I was reminded of as I was uh, reading these verses and preparing for this week of just where we were last year, or, or even uh, earlier this year, we went through 1 Peter in the spring. And Peter is addressing the church. He's, he's addressing uh, believers, people who believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. And he's saying, dear friends, fellow believers, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. There is something about you that even though you live here, even though you may live in St. Paul or, or in Lower Town or, or wherever it may be, even though you live there, there's something different about you. I urge you as, as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. I couldn't help but read through some of the Facebook posts that, that, that some friends and family members were posting on Will and Collies Facebook page and just seeing how there were so many, not so many, but there were several people that said, man, we, we were on complete opposite spectrums, philosophically, politically, whatever it may be. But guess what? They all liked them. There was something about them and their character that other people were able to say there's something different with you. Even though I may disagree, there's something different. And what's different is the, is the God that they worship. And that may be true of us as well. That we would look to their example and look to the example of Jesus to say this is how we ought to live, so that we can point people to Jesus. And then after that, I was just reminded of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. Let me let me read this because what, what I just said, and, and I think what other people may think and see when they hear about us, and even what we're talking about right now, they say, Wow, there, there's been this huge tragedy, and yet you're saying God is sovereign in control of everything, so then you're still gonna worship that God. It's foolishness. That sounds crazy. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God through the world, its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. And it's not through elegant speech. It's not through, hey, let's make some sound point. Can we try to do that? Yes, but that's not going to win anybody to Jesus. The only thing that can win somebody to Jesus and expand the kingdom of, of God one soul at a time is simply the cross of Jesus Christ. Verse 22, Jews demanded signs. What can we do? How how can we know that you're actually the Messiah? Provide bread. Give us this everlasting water. Give us a sign. How can we know you're the Messiah? How can we know you're actually who you say you are? And the Greeks look for wisdom. "Ah, This doesn't make sense logically. Let me follow you with this. Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when we were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, but many, not many influential, not many were of noble birth. What is the wisdom of God? The wisdom of God is salvation. It's righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Verse 31, therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. When there is some tragedy, it's really hard to boast. It's really hard. It sounds like foolishness. How, How can I boast in this gospel? How can I boast in this good news? It feels hollow. It feels empty. And this is where then I get to how can bad things happen to good people? How are we to boast in the mercy and the grace? How can we sing in the mercy and grace of God? How are we to boast in that? Because it doesn't sound like this is right. When I was, I know a lot of you know this, when I was 14, my My father died, and I don't think I've cried as hard as I ever have uh, on Friday since my dad died. Um, i tell a funny story real quick about Will, just to get my mind off things. A couple weeks ago, I was meeting um, downtown Minneapolis with uh, our HR uh, uh, individual, uh, Olivia, and... uh, we were going over our emergency response uh, uh, sheet of, you know, tornadoes or weather and different things. And and, uh, and one of the things that, you know, we need to be prepared for is, is a bomb threat. And and uh, so we're, I'm going over this sheet and I'm thinking, man, this looks good. This is like a really robust, you know, we got a plan. You know, we, we know where to go. We've got evacuations set in place. We've got teams ready to go. We've got, you know, AEDs and things to help. And I thought, man, we were good, and then, and then Will shows up, and his, his, his sheet was just all red. I mean, he just was marking everything up. we got to change this. This isn't right. And we get to the bomb threat, and it was like, you know, if there's a bomb threat, you, you know, evacuate and go to the parking lot. And, and Will goes, he goes, well, you know, uh, terrorists, you know, these days, they will actually call a place and say there's a bomb threat because they know everybody's going to go to the parking lot and then they'll detonate a bomb out in the parking lot and do more damage. <laughs> I was like, well, jeez, Will. <laughs> like, what is, like, hey, right? But he knew those things, right? Uh, which is why he was the right man in the room for that job, right? Um, but then he was like, but, you know, but in the winter, you got to go out to the cars anyway, so just keep it the same. I was like, oh, well, all right, That's, uh, that sounds good to me. <laughs> After my dad died, I, I looked to... Uh, I had a lot of questions, obviously, and my faith was greatly challenged. And, and I remember I went to this church in, uh, in the Greenville, South Carolina, and I don't remember the pastor's name, but he was preaching out of the book of Habakkuk, uh, another Old Testament uh, prophet. And uh, he was asking that question, why do bad things happen to good people? And, and he got to uh, that we are justified by faith, that the, the just live by faith and not by sight that there's something more about our faith that is by faith, that it's not by these tangible things that we get to see. And then he brought up this passage, and so I want to I go there because this is what Jesus says. Jesus, in a sense, was asked this question. How could this be true? How, how is this possible? Jesus says this in Luke chapter 6. Now, there was some present at that time who had told Jesus about the Galileans, some Christians whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Okay, so you got to picture some Galileans were worshiping in a, in a temple or a tabernacle or something along that lines, and, and they're, they're making their sacrifices to God and, 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 and Pilate, uh, and the Roman soldiers come in and they, and they murder these individuals and, and therefore, in a sense, mingling their blood with the blood of the sacrifices. And They say, how could this be? These, these were some good people, and they loved who you're claiming to be as your father, How is this true? And then Jesus answers, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all of the other Galileans because they suffered this way? Do Do you think that they died in this manner because they were worse than everybody else or worse than you? He says, I tell you, no. No, that's not what's happening here. But his... Answer is this, but unless you repent, you will all perish. That's a hard saying from our Savior. And then he goes on to say, or the 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Some tragic accident when a tower falls on innocent bystanders. Do you think that they were more guilty than all the other living in Jerusalem? Do you think only bad things happen to bad people? I tell you, no. But unless you repent you too will all perish. And what Jesus is calling every single individual to do is to repent and to believe in Jesus. And I remember in hearing this being taught, being sitting on the edge of my seat saying, what's the answer? Okay, I'm, I'm kind of getting there. Maybe, what are you saying about why do bad things happen to good people? And the pastor said, and I will say this until the end of my days, no one's good. Nobody's good. when when we look through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ, every single human being who's ever walked in the face of the earth has been a sinner. And Will and Cully knew that. They knew that about themselves. And so they put their faith in this Jesus because they didn't want to perish, not just a physical earthly death, but an eternal death, that they will have life, and they have life abundant in Jesus Christ. And so I think we can take a moment here to reflect and think, who do we need to share the gospel with? Because if we've learned anything this last week is that my next breath could be my last. Who do I need to tell about the love of Jesus and the forgiveness of the Savior? we can use tragedy to share good news. And again, that just sounds crazy. It sounds like foolishness. And so we might ask, how is any of this good news? <laughs> I love what the Apostle Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians 4. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Notice what he says. He doesn't say, I don't want you to grieve, period. I don't want you to mourn, period. We need to mourn. We just don't mourn like the rest of mankind who have no hope. I know I've shared this, and I'll, and I'll always share this. Just because I have hope in the resurrection, just because I have hope in who Jesus is and what he did and and what he says he is and and how we have life eternal in him, we're the ones that are left behind, as Paul's about to say. We're the ones who have to wake up every day missing people. And I've often thought this, that even if Jesus Christ showed up in the flesh, I mean, poof, right here, he's standing right here next to me, And he explained to me, Brian, this is why your dad died. Brian, this is why Will and Coley died in that way. And if he gave a million, million answers and things that I couldn't even begin to comprehend, of this is why these things happened, to to, to do this and move this event and all these different things that he is sovereign over, it, it wouldn't take away the pain. It wouldn't take away the loss. But... We don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Why? For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. That's foolishness to the world, but that is the wisdom of God. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him according to the Lord's will. We will tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of, and the call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. They get first dibs, and after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together in the clouds with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage. Encourage one another with these words. That even though we don't understand a lot of things, what I do know is that God is good. He has proven that over and over and over in my life and I think many of your lives. And any time, Anytime I start getting mad or angry or bitter or confused even with who God the Father is, I always have to say, but Jesus. He died for my sins and he didn't have to. Therefore, we can encourage one another with these words that it doesn't end with death. Death. The Apostle Paul then also says, O death, where is your victory, O grave? Where is your sting? Jesus wins. Why? Because we believe that he won victory over the dead, that he was the firstborn among the resurrection, that he was the first to be raised from the dead. And so therefore he has power over that and power over us and our souls eternally. And that sounds crazy. But again, I know that Will would have wanted me to unapologetically teach on that and bring up these thoughts on the power of God and the power over life and death and the power over salvation in our souls to say to those in here that maybe you don't know that, maybe you don't realize, man, am I a sinner? Is that true that nobody's good? Trust me, Will and Collie were good people. <laughs> they were awesome people, but they knew they were sinners and they knew they were in need of a Savior. So therefore, let's encourage one another with these words, as we mourn, but we do not mourn as those who have no hope in Jesus Christ. So let me give you these two gospel applications. One, who, who do you need to share the gospel with? Who's the neighbor? Who, who's the coworker? Who's the, the friend? Who's the family member that need to hear this? How can they hear without a preacher? Because what I do know, and looking at 1 Peter and even Nehemiah, nobody gets saved simply by observing our good actions. The Apostle Peter is going to go on later on, and he's going to say that we would proclaim him who called us out of darkness into marvelous light. In order to proclaim, in order to, to preach, you have to use words. You have to. Who do you need to share the gospel with? And then finally, let's encourage one another with those words. We have hope. The Craigs have hope. They do. I believe that wholeheartedly. Or or what are we doing here? (laughs) So let's encourage one another with, with those words. We're going to have communion today. And we're going to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. As faithful as Will and Cully were, Jesus is more faithful. And we're going to remember his faithfulness, even to the point of his own death for us. Now we're going to partake of the elements of the juice that represents his blood that was shed for us to cover our sins. So that we can be forgiven, so that we can have eternal life in him and through faith in him. We're going to partake of the bread that represents his body that's broken for us, broken for our sins, that we deserve that. We deserve the cross. And yet he lovingly and graciously, before the foundations of the world, said, I want to save my image bearers from their sins. And that means taking on flesh. That means becoming human. And that means dying for their sins because I love them dearly, and I want to spend eternity with them. So as we remember this sacrificial meal that Jesus introduced thousands of years ago, I just want to read his words. I did this last week, and if you were here on Thursday night at the, uh, at the acoustic worship night, we read this as well as we were doing communion. Matthew 26 says this, while they were eating this Passover meal, just They've been eating this Passover meal, Jewish people, for thousands of years. And Jesus says, we're going to stop doing what our people have done for thousands of years, and we're going to do something differently. I'm going to institute a new sacrificial meal. Instead of the the blood of a lamb to take away our sins, we're going to look at me. And so he had given thanks. He, He broke the bread, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, which we will do, we're going to sing three hymns this morning, praising God and thanking Jesus for his sacrifice for our sins. And then we're going to go out. We go back to our our lives, in our communities, and let us encourage one another with the words and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, our hearts are heavy, and you know that. But Father, you know what it's like to lose. You know what it's like to see your own suffering, your own son suffer and die? The second member of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, who's still in the flesh, that he knows what it's like to suffer and die. And so we don't have some high priest who is not able to empathize with our weaknesses. He gets it. He sees, he hears, he knows, he feels how we feel. He gets it. So, Father, would you be the father of the fatherless? Would you be the the husband of the widows? Those of us who need you deeply right now in our time of need, in this hour of need, would you now speak to us hope and grace and mercy in this time of need? So, God, as we reflect on this sacrificial meal, as we reflect, as we take of these elements... God, knowing these elements don't do anything to us, they don't change us, they don't forgive us, but we remember, we remember deeply what Jesus did for us and we would remember the hope that he has given us in his life and his death, but not just his death, but his burial and then his resurrection and his ascension. And he is now seated at your right hand. And Father, he's seated at your right hand and he's waiting for you, to give him permission to come back and make everything new. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. But until then, let us glory in what he has done. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.